What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Kings and Priests podcast. I'm here with Dean. What is up, Dean? How are you? Hey, I am extremely good. Yeah. Uh, even though the whole financial world is blowing up, and <laughs> this is, this is uh, oh, popcorn time, man. 9.1% inflation. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, wow! What a slammer jammer. Yeah, the um, the highest in four decades, which is is wild. I'd been putting off doing like the going over my, you know, we use one of those credit cards that gets like quadruple points at grocery stores. Yep. And I'd been, I'd mm-hmm. been putting off trying to look at like what we spent on groceries this same amount of months last year versus this year. Right. And I, I finally did the other day, and it's insane. It's, well, it's actually well, crazy. I mean, I'm, pro- I'm probably spending an extra legitimately five to $600 a month on groceries. And so buying, buying, wise, buying the same thing. So that would right. be 25, 30% easy. Yeah. Easy. And that's the thing about the CPI that mm-hmm. when you see the consumer price index, um, it's kind of the way inflation has been read for a long time, but there's a bunch of there's a bunch of people that think it's not the best measure because there's so much that's not inside of that. And so the best way to do it is to do what you just did. What did we spend on food last year, you know, in the first half of the year? What did we do this year? Oh, it's 29% up. So that's mm-hmm. that's the inflation you're experiencing. I think fuel is 60%. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, on 4th of July, I went to my local grocery store because my propane tank was out on my grill. Uh-huh. And it's normally $20 to right. switch out old propane yep. tank. Uh, it was almost forty dollars for the same. Yeah, yeah, double, same that's hundred percent, right? Double, you know, so that's crazy. Look, what does it mean? Um, the other statistic that, to think about in the seventies when this was going on, wages were rising very quickly, and so there was a lot of offset. Wages went down last month, <laughs> so you know it's look. I'm not a doomsday, doomy gloomy person. You know, we're pretty positive around here. Our faith is. You know, in uh, our, our our Lord and Savior, and and in our own abilities to make good judgments, decisions, and yep. you know, keep mm-hmm. putting one foot in front of the other some days, and just keep walking it out. But you know, you gotta you gotta think, and we've said it. Like, if you're a business, this is not the time to burn a lot of cash to grow. This is a time to conserve. And if you're a consumer <clears throat> that's working your job, job market's thankfully still pretty tight. You know, where I live. In Utah, we're one point eight percent unemployment, I think, which wow. is like zero unemployment, right? Anything under three is considered anyone can get a job anytime they want, mm-hmm. and you know, so work hard, <laughs> spend less, <laughs> cut back, maybe yep. side hustle. You know, take your side hustle to the next level mm-hmm. beyond your job, and that's you. You just got to do things for a season when you know stuff comes at you, and you do the best you can. You keep walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's hit every company Google uh, announced. I mean, well, layoffs are starting to happen, you know, across the board. Yep. Um, Especially in tech. See, yep. Google said they're slowing down their hiring um, mm-hmm. through the year. But what I thought was interesting about that is so the CEO sent a company wide email. And this is Google, right? Some would argue the best business on earth, you know, one of the right. five best businesses on earth, behemoth. Um, he said to the staff, um, Moving forward, we need to be more entrepreneurial, working with greater urgency, sharper focus, and more hunger than we've shown on sunnier days. Right. I thought that was really interesting that literally one of the biggest companies in the world, the CEO saying, hey, it's time to think 
more entrepreneurial, which would lead me to believe that right now, if you're nimble and right. you can get by on less, you have an advantage. I'm just looking up Google's um, uh, for our Q4. Oh, yeah. Uh, total revenue was $257 billion. <laughs> Cost of revenue was 110 Gross profit was $146 billion last year. 140, $146 billion, and they're right. saying we're slowing down. We're slowing down hiring, and we all need to think more entrepreneurs. Right. And I and I, if I had more time, I'd find how much cash they got laying around. It's probably $150, 200000000000 billion, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. So if someone like that who literally – could double their staff tomorrow and still be profitable when they're yeah. like, Hey, we're gonna, you know, tighten up the edges here a bit. You, mm -hmm. you, you gotta listen to stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, another big one that hits close to home being here in LA is so, you know, Netflix is on the back end of a bunch of layoffs. Yeah. And they've now, I mean, it was just three or four weeks ago there, it leaks that they're looking for advertising partners and they're maybe going to open up a lower tier because they've been losing subscribers for the first right. time ever last yep. quarter. And so you now have Netflix, who their whole model was built on ad-free, and yep. they're now saying just did a deal with to, uh, just did a Microsoft. deal with Microsoft, right? So yeah. even you look at stuff like that, and these massive companies are pivoting yep. to use the most the most used word of the last two years, pivoting um, yeah. to just rethinking a lot of things about their model, which is, um, which is yeah, that was two million subscribers, I think, in in Q one, um, which is a was a that was a headbutt. And the stock got hammered, yep. but um, hey, look, you know, it's it's not uh, a bad thing when you're running a business and you're going in a certain direction and things mm -hmm. stop working to go. Hey, we need to go another direction, and yep. we want it to be a subscription only, ten, twelve, fifteen bucks a month, whatever. Because um, I think they started tiering too, right? Mm -hmm. on, and so yeah, based on different how many screens and all that, and speed maybe. Yep. Yeah. Um, but then okay, we've got to go. We got to we got to find revenue from somewhere. So the next thing for them to do is is to have an ad supported tier network. You're obviously going to pay less, right? Yep. You're gonna there might be a four ninety nine option, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm guessing, and uh, you know you're going to watch ads. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, recessions are from everything I've learned about the advertising business and and media marketing. If you have a asset that can help drive revenue for your advertising partners. A recession mm -hmm. is a really good time because they're yeah. cutting back anything that doesn't directly affect yeah. um, their revenue. So maybe maybe yeah. it'll be good. Maybe it'll be good yeah. for them. I did think it was interesting not to derail the conversation that the first, the first, um, I guess, section of the business that Netflix laid off and shut down was their diversity and inclusion. Uh, <laughs> basically, every everything that they started in 2020, they have. Uh, I did see that. Yeah, they have shut down. Um, <laughs> It's funny how, like, when times are good, you start, you know, plumping up things that are kind of materially useless for your actual business. And then when times get a little tough, they're the first things to go. But I saw, um, okay, I want to actually want to find this as I further derail as we say that. But let me find this tweet real quick because I saw yesterday that an ETF is actually launching, just filed to launch. Um, in a couple of months, and the call sign, it's called God, the God Bless America ETF. No. Oh. And uh, it is a ETF that tracks U.S. stocks, but screens out companies that have emphasized political activism, social agendas, or make public statements about political hot button items unrelated to their business. That's a, mean, that's a genius mean, idea for an ETF. Totally. You mean companies that just want to build products and services and sell yeah. them and 
and not get involved in all this other stuff. Yeah, I would invest in that. I was going to say, and who doesn't want to at least put some money into the God Bless America ETF? I mean, that is. Oh, the the call sign is y'all. Why? (laughs) That's uh, I could say a lot of things right there. This incredible. With with trying not to go on another tangent, but you know what do we, what do we believe as you know business owners who are people of faith? You know we, I think about my philosophy around hiring. In the early days of your business, you're just trying to find someone who'll catch the vision with you and come along probably for a cut pay and whatever. Yep. Anybody but, wants you know, to join the chaos, yeah. Yeah, and uh, but as you go, you can be more selective. And, and unless it's merit first, you know, you're really just doing the dumbest things. Um, my wife has, you know, past life witnessed people being hired for reasons other than having skill sets, mm-hmm. uh, and it never ends well. And so, you know, with color, sex, like all of that, that's all like ridiculously idiotic for you to hire people on anything other than um, can they do the job? Do they have experience? Do they have the aptitude? Are they willing to work hard? Mm -hmm. Do they share your culture and mission and shared values? Like those are the things that matter, not anything else. Any of the other stuff. And and if you're a young person listening to this um, and you're kind of, surrounded by all that craziness yep just cut, cut the cord and, and get away from that it's, yep. it's not going to yeah, help if you, you this if, if you want to be an activist go work for a nonprofit. Right? sure like if but if you're There's four thousand of them in exactly. like hollywood alone exactly if you're trying to go find a good company to work for to learn and grow go find a company right. that wants to make money and win yeah. and and do things yeah. with integrity right um right Okay, so startup funding is slowed, which I don't think is a shock to anyone standard. in this yep. current um, current environment. It fell 23% in Q2, which is the largest drop in a decade. Yep. Um, this is from the information. Venture capitalists are reckoning with their worst quarter in almost a decade. Um, global funding to startups fell 23%, uh, still $108.5 billion. Um, right. But what I thought was interesting about this, and I wanted to get your take, was that Early stage investments accounted for account for the majority of deals so far this year, or sixty four percent. So, to me, that would signal that it's uh, there's less money for growth, and there's less people trying to raise fifty, a hundred million, and it seems like people are making smaller bets. Is that um, is it like like does that bode well for someone who is is potentially what? So what these funds have to do? Let's say they made bets over the last three years. There's some of those companies that they put money into that are experiencing maybe cash pressure now Mm -hmm. and they're not profitable. So they have to keep some funds aside to keep those ones going. And those valuations come down, right? That's called a down round. Mm -hmm. If you're valued at, you know, 50 million and you raised 10 million, right, last year at 50, but you're burning through that money and you've got a runway of three, six months, you're not getting another round at 50, you're getting a round at 30 million, right, right, valuation. So they've got to keep money for those because those are good bit they're not bad businesses they're just they're caught in a stage where it costs to keep growing and the cost to, is so expensive right mm-hmm. and so they so they got to get those businesses through out the other side or or they a lot of them don't make it right 2008 like there's shakeout all the time and and honestly recession is the time when good businesses thrive and come through and do better ultimately you know down out the other side then um but then it doesn't surprise me that the the 64 percent of this hundred so billion is going into early stage which is 
is you know from seed to you know series a maybe mm-hmm. um which is you know anything from you know 250k up to maybe 5 million so they're just spreading the money around in yeah. more places it, in this point and if there's a good business with fundamentals and growth you know showing growth and you believe and have conviction about that business why wouldn't you take some bets now and you're probably getting more bang for your buck as an investor because you can spread more money around more companies Mm -hmm. and you know these guys are expecting if they get a one in 20 hit rate you know they're good like early angel investments they're stoked Mm -hmm. so they know they're baked in like 15 of these things are going to go bust Mm -hmm. you know two or three are going to you know cruise along and and do okay and one's going to be an uber right Mm -hmm. And and all these funds are ten year time horizons, right? Like if you Usually. want to fund, you're parting with that capital for ten years with no expectation of any kind of return, and uh, until six, like, okay, six to ten later, six to ten. Yeah, six to ten, and and then you'll have growers that pop out and go public faster. It's, I think the old kind of was about seven years was about the average, you know, where there were exits either by IPO or they got right. bought up by, you know, a big like a Microsoft you know, buys them or whatever. But yeah, those, the LPs, the limited partners that give the VC monies the cash and say, here, go and invest this for me. Um, and they raise up, you know, say I raise a billion dollar fund and there's 30 or 40 limited partners, you know, who are putting up, you know, 5 million, 10 million each. Um, you know, they just, they, they three to four X in, in that time period is, you know, you're a good VC and right. you're going to get you money the next the time. Fund. Raise yeah. Fund. yeah. <laughs> Cool. Um, all right. So I, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Jerry Weintraub. Have I, have, yep. have, have you ever heard of him before? So I read, I first read his book probably a decade ago and it, he's mm-hmm. just a fascinating character to me. There's a documentary about him on HBO. Um, mm-hmm. The thing about him is he sort of produced the documentary about himself and he wrote his own biography. So what you're re- and, and he's a bit of a showman. So the stories are from his Flank perspective. Point. Yeah, yeah, but I think that's part of what makes it such a good story, right? Right. So I recently reread his book, and he was, um, you know, he was the guy that took Elvis on tour and and had to pay his manager, came up with a million dollars in twenty four hours to right. take Elvis on tour. I mean, the stories that this guy did. I mean, he tells a story of being so he was watching the a chess tournament in Iceland and <laughs> got obsessed with Bobby Fischer. And he was sitting there with his wife, and she said, well, you, you've not stopped watching this for days. He said, I'm obsessed with this kid. He's a superstar. And she said, stop wow. it. And he said, watch, I'm going to prove it to you. And he went to LAX, got on a plane, flew to Iceland, found the kid. <laughs> so he's just one of those, one of those guys. <laughs> awesome. um, disrupted the concert business. So anyways, I, I, re-recently, I recently reread uh, his book and mm-hmm. pulled some points out from it. And I wanted to just kind of run them by you, see what you thought. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think what I love about him is he's literally a kid that started from nothing. So he didn't yeah, go to business school. He started out wanting to be an actor. Was I think he was in the Air Force and started wow. in Brooklyn, New York, and um, just kind of created something out of nothing. So Very cool. um, kind of probably the quote that came from the book that I thought most um, – I that kind of most ex- best explained his sort of personality. He said, they said, most importantly, I was never afraid to fail, which meant I was never afraid to, uh, never afraid to try. And then he said, I was never afraid to look silly, which meant I was never threatened by a new idea, 
which I love. love. Everyone says it's like, oh, failure. You know, we we talk about failure, not being fine and all that. But his kind of thing was like, I actually wasn't afraid to look silly. In other words, I was willing yep. to take this idea to to yep. the, to to its fullest extent and not really care of right. about what people. And Steve think, Steve right? Jobs, you know, like he it was like same philosophy. Like you got to put yourself out there, um, and the the fear of other people is what I think stops a lot of people, you know, that, you know, you got to keep trying and stuff and you're going to get knocked down and get up again, but you get worried about what people think of you mm-hmm. and that stops a lot of people. And I right. think that's what he's saying. He, he doesn't care what he looked like to other people. Mm-hmm. He's just going to go and, you know, try stuff that others would never dream of trying. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So here's like kind of this framework that I had sort of put together based upon just what I learned from his book. Um, and what I like about it is, again, it's 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 a bit different in that he's essentially creating – he's not creating at this point software. He's coming up with an idea, yeah. and he's going after it. So it's a little bit different than maybe some of the stuff we've talked about in the past, but uh, I really love it. So basically number one is having clarity of vision. So having clarity of vision around what can and needs to be accomplished, which is just a, yeah. a clear – I think it's easy to say, like, I want to be an entrepreneur, um, mm-hmm. but having a clear vision of, like, what that looks like, what the company – Right, like uh, focus. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if it's not number one, it should be. You know, what are you trying to do, and uh, and how are you trying to do it? So, mm-hmm. and and I would just add, just in the early days, having a single vision is is really mm-hmm. like you clarify, and then you just you just got to keep honing it down and honing it down and honing it down. Whether it be you know plumbing the world for Jesus or, you know, building software, you know, on, on platforms. It's just like get so laser focused in the early stages and then you can start, you know, doing HVAC later, but master the plumbing first, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, second is identifying the path, like figuring out who holds the keys to the stepping stones for fulfilling that vision. So for him, his big thing was who, you know, this was a guy who was friends with George H., you know, George Herbert Walker Bush, and he just right. he was like, like had dinner yeah. with presidents and and that's very much hollywood right the yeah. networking thing is huge um so that doesn't surprise me but you know in this day and age and like it goes to the next you know kind of point here leveraging, leveraging the relationships yeah. like who who you're going to do business with and for is you know it's all people mm-hmm. so if you're not a people person you better have someone who can be a people person right. working alongside you because the the way in which business works today, especially um, the the ease of which we can communicate mm-hmm. on you know multiple platforms yep. at multiple times at once, yep. um, is just critical. But it it uh, it leverages everything you do when you're able to have these relationships that can move things along for you, mm-hmm. or introduce you to places where you couldn't get in yourself, and mm-hmm. it's just. So critical. So yeah, that's figure thing. out who holds the keys. That's a really good kind of like who's the person that could unlock that door that you can't unlock, mm-hmm. right? And yep. go and go and be friends with them. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting too is it's um, you know he talks a lot in the book too about he like he could go very networky about it, but one of the things that I thought was cool is that he, he for him it was genuine friendship and relationship. So right. even in right. a sense of like these people he found, yeah, sure it was good for him to meet these people and know them. But at the same time, it was, he was also a very relational guy, right? So it wasn't just, what can I get from this person? So identifying the path, and then, yeah, you said leveraging 
relationships, which I think leads to the fourth one, which I think is a good next step. And what I think a lot of people get wrong about the whole like networking thing is yep. communicating a shared vision. So yeah. the idea of like, I'm not just getting to know you because of what you can do for me, right? There's yeah, something yeah. that we can mutually help each other get done. Yep. Um, yep. And we've talked a lot, a lot about that. I, I'm sure people hit you up all the time. Whether it be wanting advice, whether it be wanting an investment, whether it be just wanting I got whatever it might someone, be. Yeah, someone DM'd me on Twitter yesterday, like, hey, I'd like to talk to you about church software. Am I sure? Yeah. Like, if anyone asks, like, unless, and I looked him up and he, he's building something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, like, I, I, there's part of me that loves meeting new people. And, and if someone takes the time, effort, and boldness to reach out to you, it, it, it's good to be courteous, right. number one. And uh, I'll find 15 minutes to talk to that guy. I don't know who he is or what he's selling, but I, I like it. Do it yeah. I, hope he's, I hope he's a young entrepreneur that's got some really cool ideas around, mm-hmm. you know, communications or something. Yep. Um, that's that's the fun of getting old mm-hmm. is, is hopefully you have, um, like, built experience that younger people want. And, you know, that's a great interaction. Keeps you young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the cool thing is, is right, like that person that reached out to you, he would probably never be in the same place as you. So like I don't have to we don't I don't have to be a member of whatever club or conference or whatever it used to be you joined YPO or something and you had to go be a part yeah, yeah, of this yeah. exclusive group and now it really is just like I can come up with a unique Twitter message to send to somebody and next well, thing you know I'm on the phone with them. That's it that's a that's only ten years old, right? Fifteen years old that that's possible. very much. And and Twitter's a whole other thing to talk about. There's, there, I read about this guy, and I, I'd have to look up his name. He started a venture fund by literally making friends on Twitter with all these VCs who gave him all these tips. And then he went out and raised like a, a little $10 million fund, right? Mm-hmm. Like from nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an African-American guy too. He's a black guy, and he just just got after it. And, that's man, I just love that, right? He's mm-hmm. He's, uh, and so, yeah, no, there's nothing stopping anyone from doing anything except not having the drive to do it. Yeah, right. So uh, number five, telling persuasive stories, using master storytelling as an effective persuasion tool to sell the vision. This is something I know that you and I both have talked a lot about and both love to do, right? Like yeah. I love coming up with how am I going to – how do I sell this, this vision? Yep. How important is it? And obviously we're in a – I think – one of the things I've heard a lot of VCs say in the last couple of months is we've been in the last 10 years a place where you sell the vision to raise money sure. or to give you we're, – we're now at the place where you're selling the fundamentals, right? So things have changed a bit, but there's always a yep. level of I, Michael, need to get Dean behind a vision, and, and mm-hmm. there's got to be some level of persuasive storytelling in order to, to do that, whether it's yeah. an investor or a customer, right? Yeah, it, look, you're always communicating. Um, you always need to be able to explain what you're doing in a minute, right? Do a classic elevator pitch. But it's more than that. It's um, if it's living inside of you, like if this thing is is in you, this passion, this drive, this mission, um, you should be able to talk about it for a minute or an hour or four hours. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know, it's and being a former, you know public speaker for a living it's it's you develop the skills to be able to speak freely about you know hopefully lots of topics and be well ran and all of that stuff but when it comes to your your what you're building 
it's just got to live inside of you so much. And someone just so much as just pokes you mm-hmm. to get you started, it just go, it goes. And at that point, you're not selling. You're just sharing the vision and the dream and the steps to get there. And, mm-hmm. and you're just creating momentum. You know, right? If you want people to work for you, it's the same thing. Like, this is where we're going and this is how we're going to get there. Here's the mountains we're going to climb. And yep. do you want to come and climb them with me? And people love that. Mm-hmm. They just get behind it. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for investors, right? Here's the mission. Here's where we're going. Here's the mountains we've got to climb. Do you want to come along? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yep, here's a million bucks. I'm coming, yep. right? So it's just, you just got to have it in you to the level. It's just, you're up to here with, with your story. Yep. And at any opportunity for a minute or an hour, you, to you've got to just gush it, mm-hmm. gush it out. Mm-hmm. They love that. They get in and they yeah. want to swim along with yeah. you. Um, so this next one I think is going to be good because it. I think it's the one that most bumps up against maybe our some of our belief and faith and mm-hmm. and wanting to do business with most of it. But in his in his industry, right? Yes. So yeah. So he says packaging, you know, effective packaging, positioning and naming things so they have extremely high perceived value even when the intrinsic value may be very low and he the, he there's a lot of examples in the book of you know he wanted to do a frank sinatra live at madison square garden and nobody was really interested in it and so he turned it into you know jerry weintraub presents the champion of the world live at madison square garden and it's frank <laughs> it's, it's frank sinatra in the center of a boxing ring in madison square garden right and right. nobody wanted to watch a concert on TV, so what he did is he said, well, we're just going to make it live. So we're going to go in and out of commercials, but we're not going to stop what we're doing on our end. So wow. it literally feels like people are watching a concert on their yep. television yep. as a pay-per-view right. thing, right? But this idea of positioning and naming things so they have extremely high value even when it may be low. So there's always a level of salesmanship that goes on in business, but there also is this integrity thing where you, you can't lie. So where's the balance no. in that? And what do you think about about that? And again, he works in entertainment in Hollywood, so that's the name of yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of the game. Taking that, taking that out of it for a second, um, you know, presenting something that is true, but also presenting something that potentially is not where it is today, but is going to be something tomorrow is an art form, mm-hmm. right? Like, hey, I built this, it's minimum viable product, mm-hmm. right? In our, in the tech world. And then it's like, but this is not where we want to be in three months, nine months, two years, this, we've got a vision for this. So, but you have to deliver too, right? So there's mm-hmm. all there's always this tension between uh, where I am today and where I want to be tomorrow. And if I'm in conversations, you know, with employees or to investors, to, you know, friends, um, I'm like, this is what we have, mm-hmm. but here's the clear direction to getting there. Uh, now, lipstick on a pig, which right. is the opposite, right? It is that doesn't last. All you got to do is watch the Hulu show We Crashed to see like the right the, exactly. exactly the the person that's doing that in a very not not good hundred percent hundred percent. So yeah, that's that's a like the WeWork thing is a phenomenal kind of thing. Um, looked really flashy and great. And, great salesman you know, at the helm. But yep. great and but you know it all it all catches up with you. You can't fake it forever, and fake it till you make it. You know, look. Some, I've seen people do it and it works, but it, you better have a plan to make it 
<laughs> and the faking part can't be too long. <laughs> it's like it's got to be a pretty short yeah. part of the whole, the whole picture thing. here. You better be stuck. Put some runs on the board pretty yeah. quick. Yeah. Um, the next one, number seven, which I think you'll love to talk about, which you guys do really well at Tidely is launching, right? So turning opportunities into events and then promoting those events effectively as a launch. So um, that's something that you guys do like two or three times a year where you're essentially saying, here is our yeah. new product line. Stuff. But it's not just something that you're rolling out via an email. You spend time and money and yeah. energy and investment yeah. into making an event, a launch event happen. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, look, Apple, you know, Steve Jobs is the master at this and uh, they would work for two years on a product and have a big event about it. Right. I still remember watching the iPhone one um, way, way back. So, you know, that's uh, depending on what you're doing and what products you got and who your customer is. You know, we have a, a essentially a small, medium SMB product that, you know, markets to small, medium customers, small, medium churches, and we got a lot of them. And so to celebrate you know, a big update or a new feature or a whole new product line. Uh, it just make, kind of makes sense for us to do it that way, like Apple does. And so, yeah, we've been doing it for two years. We spent a lot of money. They're actually, you know what they've turned into? Uh, and we never thought this at the beginning, massive lead generation. Because mm. so we do it for our customers, but we do all this, you know, marketing to potential customers. And we'll see, you know, if we get 20,000 people sign up for the event yeah. online, um, we'll see five, 7,000 non-customers wow. mm -hmm. come. Mm -hmm. And so that's like really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and it's, and we see a big bump in signups mm -hmm. after those events. Mm -hmm. So, wow. yeah. Um, so the last one is number eight, which I think brings it all together. And I, I think this is the part of it. You know, if you read the guy's book, it's look, he, he is a showman. He kind of viewed himself mm -hmm. as like a modern P.T. Barnum, like he and he he never hides right. from that, right? Like he loves the antics, yeah. getting in way over his head and having to deliver. But the thing about him is he always delivered, and that's his his eighth right. point here is do whatever it takes to actually deliver the promised Logo. result, and yeah. that is where I think yeah. over a period of time, if somebody repeatedly delivers. It's just like you, you can tell. It's just like even the people that were investing in his stuff, it was like, ah, oh, Jerry's just, he's up to whatever his antics are again, but he's delivered right. on the previous yep. past five. So I'm going to trust him again, right. again to do it. And I think that's the, the key, right? Is yeah. can I and will well, I do whatever it takes to deliver what I say that I'm going to deliver? And of all eight things we just talked about, this is the hardest, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, it's like telling your story. Being persuasive, the packaging and all the rest, delivering mm -hmm. might not necessarily be on time, right? right? <laughs> but delivering something that actually is real and works and does, you know, hopefully 95% mm -hmm. of what you said it would. And then, you know, rinse, repeat, yep. right? Just do, just keep doing that and you're going to be very successful. He tells this story um, about Elvis. So he was taking Elvis on the road and Elvis, before he went on the road, Elvis said, okay, fine, I'll go on the road with you. I just need you to promise me one thing. I don't ever want there to be a single empty seat in the, in the house, right? Yep. So a couple months in, I think they're in Florida somewhere and he gets this idea of like, oh, we could, we should do a matinee show. So he signs up this matinee show. Anyways, the local reporter lies to him, tells him the show's sold out. They get there the day before, and they've only sold half the tickets. And oh. he's like, I promised Elvis that I would never let him perform to an empty seat, right? right? And again, I don't know how true this story is, but what he says he did was he says he noticed on the chairs there were bolts, you know, that bolted to the, to the, from the chair to the, to the thing. So he went over to the local jailer, and he paid the local jailer five grand 
to take the prisoners to the concert hall, unscrew half the seats, take them out into the back parking lot for the matinee show, and then in between the middle show, the matinee show and the night show, put them back in. He claims Elvis never even noticed. Never even noticed. Noticed. He said, you know, you never never wanted to play in front of an empty audience, and so I delivered it. So anyways, it's a a really good book. It's a good book. it's inspiring, but it's also just a good a good read, and, and there's a lot of good good, read. good stuff in there. Um, what else, man? Anything else on your mind before we uh, say farewell this week? Um, yeah, like we're in the middle, second half of the year. It's gone pretty quick, and uh, you know, I, I just I, for all out, you know, the people that watch and are in business, just you got to stay encouraged. You got to keep your spirit up, and uh, it's easy to get a few knocks, you know, and around the, the place when markets are like this, I think we're in, you know, I, everyone's saying, oh, it's, it could be a quick recession. I, I think we're in for a bumpy 18 months. And uh, I think politics, uh, I think the midterm elections are going to be interesting, yeah. not trying to be political here, but I think what's going to happen is it's going to be a kind of a shift back probably to the to the right certainly in the house and probably the senate and i think that i think that'll be good actually for like forgetting the politics of it i just think bringing some calm and hopefully stopping some of the spending like we don't really go into politics much here but the spending is it's a problem because that's what's it's that's what's making this worse and every economist is saying the same things like just stop and uh, I saw something that David Sachs tweeted, you know, like the fact that we're relying on one guy to stop this spending madness, Manchin, mm-hmm. is kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Like, but I'm just hoping like he's listening to all the economists and they're saying to him, don't you dare push through another trillion dollars in, in, in like, talk. Yep. It's like some of the, we know the waste, fraud and, fraud and abuse that mm-hmm. the government, they can't help themselves, right? Left or right, it doesn't matter. They're just unaccountable yep. if something costs a million dollars they're going to pay five million for yeah. it you know that's what they do it drives you nuts it drives business people nuts right because we know the value of a dollar yep. and um oh, it's just so frustrating so you know when clinton um got shellacked mm-hmm. um newt became was a big maybe i don't know 20 50 seats and newt came in there was the best most longest economic growth because, you know, you had kind of one side and work on one side that had to work together, had to compromise, and the country did really yep. well. And uh, it seems that no matter if it's left or right, when one side has all the power, it all falls to pieces. <laughs> and then when there's divided government, it, it you got to compromise and hit it down the middle, and that's how we're going to get through this thing. So anyway, that's – I'm – I think the markets are going to be a bit spicy until the election. And then I'm hopeful that after that, um, things calm kind down. of calm down a bit and get some sanity. Great. Well, Dean, as always, thank you. And uh, hey, if you're listening and you have questions or, you know, whatever, uh, yeah. reach out to us. My email is mw@vast.faith. You can DM either Dean or I on Twitter. Um, hit us up, questions, thoughts, whatever it might be. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll see you next week. Awesome. See you, everyone.